Hello, and welcome to Tea is Good, Books Are Better, the podcast where we drink tea and talk about books. I'm Raven. I'm Jess. This is Storm of Swords. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the end. This is the end of A Storm of Swords. Yeah, today we're going to be covering uh, the final chapter of... This is the third book in those series? Yes. Yeah, it is. The final chapter of the third <laughs> book in the Song of Ice and Fire series, the epilogue. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> this is the furthest I've read. Oh, in the I think I need that. Yeah. Uh, well, I hadn't even picked up the first book when we started this podcast, so. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. What are we drinking today? I'm drinking Christmas tea. It's called black tea with cinnamon and clove. Apparently. Oh. Okay. Hmm. Is that new? Nope. I'm still going through my Christmas teas that I Well, bought. I don't mean like you just bought it new. I mean like have you had it on the podcast before? I think so. Yeah. I drank up all my apple cinnamon tea, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> that was good stuff. <laughs> well, at least I don't have to uh, hear you say that anymore. Apple cinnamon tea, apple cinnamon tea, apple cinnamon tea. It's so good. <laughs> okay, I am drinking a David's tea called Mother's Little Helper. Have you had what? that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's described as minty, citrusy, and relaxing. Ooh. Is it all of them? Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it's an herbal tea. It has peppermint, lemongrass, hibiscus, rose hips. Is that Ooh. how you say that? Rose hips? I mean, I guess. Uh, chamomile. That's definitely how you say that. Valerian root. Sounds right. Uh... Corn flowers. Okay, is that normal? And natural Corn? peppermint flavoring. Oh, but not natural peppermints. Uh, it does have hot? it does have organic peppermint in it. Oh god. Yes. Is it just like peppermint oil or something? What is peppermint flavoring? Natural peppermint flavoring. I don't know. Why do you have to add that as an extra ingredient if you have peppermint as an ingredient? It, it wasn't strong enough. Just the leaf. Oh. More peppermint flavor. Yeah, maybe it's like a concentrated peppermint juice that they add in. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it tastes uh, it tastes alright. <laughs> it's like fine. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is how it's described oh. on the back. The oh, great nice. the great escape. Need a little relaxation? Try running for the shelter of this mother's little helper. One sip and you'll feel like you've spent the day at a spa. Well, nice. <laughs> I certainly don't feel like I've spent the day at a spa. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Ready for the epilogue? Should we do like a quick summary of where everyone Ooh. left off? Or should we just... I mean, I uh... kind of wonder. Okay, I can tell you how everyone ends. Yeah. John is elected Nor L L L L John is elected Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. Danny decides to stay in Marine to rule because mm -hmm. they need her. With Bran 
Sam and Gilly emerged from the well at the night fort. Uh, and they show Brad and his friends how to get to the other side, where Cold Hands is waiting to transport him. Davos saves Edric from Melisandre, I guess being sacrificed. Oh damn, I actually forgot about that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and reads Stannis a letter before Stannis kills him for treason. Well, we didn't see him kill him. But that seemed like the intention. That was how it <laughs> made you feel like it was going to happen. Yeah. Jamie denies Cersei's manipulation and gives Brienne his sword that Tyron had made for him. Oh, Naming shit. it... Oathkeeper. Jesus, I wrote Oathbreaker and I'm like, what? <laughs> that is not right. <laughs> <laughs> no, the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's... Thought what happened? <laughs> Alternative universe. <laughs> yeah, naming it Oathkeeper and sending her to find and protect Sansa. Tyrion, Jamie, and Varys help him escape. Jamie confesses that Tysha was not a whore, and in a rage, Tyrion tells Jamie that he killed Joffrey, and then also kills, not also, and then he kills Lord Tywin. Before he takes off with berries. Mm -hmm. And Taisha was his first wife. His very first wife. She wasn't a whore. She was just a girl. Mm -hmm. Arya and the Hound bump into Polivar and the Tickler. They duke it out. The Hound is injured. Arya gets needle back. Sander's wounds get infected and Arya abandons him. She finds a small port town and gets on a ship heading to Bravos. Catelyn? They all die. <laughs> Catelyn <laughs> fucking dies. <laughs> all of them die. <laughs> Catelyn gets fucking murdered. Brutally. Mm-hmm. Throat slit. Mm. Throw naked into the river. Fun. Uh, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Rob is uh, beheaded. And then... Greywind is beheaded, and Greywind's head is sewn onto Rob's body. And he's paraded around because fun! King in the North! <laughs> Play with my oh. dollies! <laughs> so, with Sansa, Littlefinger kills Lysa Arryn after she tries to kill Sansa, I guess, in a jealous rage. And we find out that Peter has been behind the entire war between. Uh, the Starks and the Lannisters. And right. I dubbed them BBEG. The BBEG. Big nice. Daddy. Uh, yeah, so just a quick reminder as to, or explanation as to why that's a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, how he started everything. He convinced Lysa to poison her husband, John Aaron in order for them to be together, I suppose, was his lie to her? Yeah. Um, but it was to get, <laughs> I guess, Ned Stark separated from Catelyn or something? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah? 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 Maybe he knew that Ned would be Robert's first choice after John. That makes sense. But then why wouldn't he have gone like straight to Winterfell? Maybe he oh, was he wanted... on getting Ned murdered. Right. Okay. 
There you go. Okay, that seems right. Um, so yeah, it was obviously we know already the death of John Aaron that kind of kicked off uh, this whole sequence of events that has become yeah. the Game of Thrones. Basically, how the first book book starts. Mm-hmm. Shit. Shit. <laughs> and here we are. Oh, uh, it. Don't forget Sam. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sam learns more of King Stannis' intentions and decides to manipulate Carter Pike and Sir Dennis into voting for John. For Lord Commander. And I did that all of the characters. And John is voted Lord Commander. Yep, that was the very first thing. <laughs> oh. I should have done <laughs> which one's for ended first. Yeah, I like already forgot the first things he said. Okay. Yep. <laughs> And now, here we are! At the at end! The epilogue. At the epilogue. I guess we can just <laughs> launch straight into it. Get into it? Mm -hmm. Alright. So, there is this guy named Merritt Frey, I think? I'm pretty sure he's a Frey. And he's making his way up to Old Stones, which I looked up on the little map, and it's a little bit below the Twins. Pretty close. And just east of the Iron Islands on the mainland. And Pro featured show. in the Jenny of Oldstone song. Oh! <laughs> wow. I knew it sounded familiar. <laughs> Have we been there before? I don't know. Popular song. So, he thinks about how, with the wars and the floods, two harvests have been lost. When winter comes, a great many people are going to starve, and he hopes that he won't be one of them. He worries about outlaws sneaking up to him. He often complains about outlaws stealing his life. He seems to do so just to have some distinction amongst the phrase, as it's easy to be forgotten in that family. It appears he's an alcoholic who hates his life and the people in it. Apparently, some nameless outlaw did something to him that causes migraines. I think probably hit him. I think later on in the chapter we figure it out. But this is a big reason why he drinks, because he gets migraines. Okay. His mission is to bring someone named Peter Pimple, awesome name, <laughs> back home safely, whom outlaws, the Brotherhood, are holding ransom. Oh, we know these people. Yeah, we sure do. When he offered to bring the ransom, his father had laughed at him, and he had to beg to be allowed to do this. Oh, wait. Why did he... Okay, a couple things. Me? Um, Peter Pimple. I feel like we've definitely heard this name before. Mm -hmm. Do you remember where... I recognize the name. I don't remember where. For some reason, I'm thinking Arya. But I don't know if that's right. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe, like, uh, when she was around the Brotherhood, they were talking about him or something. Oh. Uh... Could have been. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, and then also, why does Merritt want to be the one to go sort out the ransom? I think um, he's trying to secure his place um, amongst the phrase to get like in a higher position. Um, okay. Make sure that he won't starve to death <laughs> when the winter comes. He's trying to prove his value. Yeah. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> so as he rides up the hill, his migraine slowly worsens, which 
kind of triggered me because the way George described it sounded very familiar. Oh shit. It made me anxious because that pain is bad. And yeah, he's getting anxious because he knows his migraine is coming and he worries that he might not be able to make it and will end up on the side of the road sobbing. Like, not being able to function at all. Which is relatable. Damn. Uh, what, wait, yeah, wait, migraines wait. are bad. What, what specifically about the description was... Uh... It's like the being angry, like feeling it coming on and being anxious, like, oh my god, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I mean, it gets worse. I'm not going to be able to function. It's you really like the pain is a lot like you really cannot do much mm -hmm. yeah Got it. Mm. he thinks about um lord frey uh who is close to 92 he's going deaf and blind and has such bad gout that he has to be carried everywhere everyone knows that he doesn't have long left and merit worries even though lord walder is a stubborn ass he looks after all of his own. Lord Walder had been grooming his oldest son for 60 years to care about the entire family, but he ended up dying campaigning for Rob, and his son, Sir Ryman, is next to inherit. But this guy is a greedy man, and his sons, Edwin and Black Walder, are even worse. Ooh. I've heard of Black Walder for sure. Yeah, that rings a bell. He realizes that once Lord Walder dies, the Freys are going to fight amongst each other <laughs> in a dog-eat-dog -dog style. So I think this is also why he's doing this, because he's got to get some clout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is surprising to hear, but it makes total sense. Hmm. That Walder Frey, the main Walder Frey, is like the lesser of several evils. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's kind of like, crazy. Like, he's a real douche canoe, but at least he's not, like, cruel or evil towards his own family. I guess he is cruel, but he's, well, he's not, definitely like, cruel. <laughs> he's not, like, violent or sadistic. He makes sure that, that they're all, uh... Self-serving? He makes sure they're all fed and have assets. I guess. Like every one of his family get looked after. Mm -hmm. Maybe not like 100% equally. Like I imagine he favors yeah. some family members over others, but definitely. At least he doesn't like ignore or try to like kick out or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like he keeps his bastards around and their uh, children and all that stuff. Like he's. Right, yeah. So they're not actually praised, they're still part of the family. Right, right, right. Hmm. Okay, okay. Um, so Merritt had actually squired alongside Jamie Lannister. But while Jamie was covering himself in glory, fuck that guy, Merritt caught the pox from some whore, and then he was captured by a woman known as the White Fawn. What? What the Okay. Sounds familiar. What the heck is the, the, the pox? Is that like an STD? <laughs> or does it like, literally mean like smallpox like or chickenpox? <laughs> I don't know. It could have been an STI. It could have been the flu. 
Like any like sickness. He's like, get that ooze at whore. <laughs> oh yeah, oh. I guess it's easy to blame it on the whore. Yeah. <laughs> it probably was the whore, but <laughs> then uh, this white fawn captured him. Who the hell is that? Yeah. A woman? Who are you? Yeah, it was a woman. Okay. Um, and she had ransomed him. Oh yeah, but in the next fight he was in, he was hit in the head by a blow from a mace that broke his helm and left him unconscious for two weeks, which is what causes his migraines, and he can no longer fight because of it. Oh damn. Yeah. He that's like a straight up coma. Yeah, like that's really bad <laughs> to be unconscious for two weeks. Dude, it's that's even bad concussed. It's bad to fall asleep. For like 20 minutes when you have a concussion. Can you imagine mm. getting knocked out for two weeks? Mm-hmm. How does he even have like a brain left? <laughs> <laughs> right? How is he still functioning? Yeah. Barely with his migraines. I mean, Apparently. I guess so. They seem pretty bad. He might have like internal bleeding or whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely not healthy. So. Merit's second daughter is actually Fat Walda. Oh my uh, god! I think um, he briefly thought of it as giving him some worth. Like, she was like the only thing that he's succeeded in because Bruce Bolton chose her. <laughs> so that's like the only thing that he thinks of himself as. Gives him worth. Yeah, but Lord Walder had told him that's because she's fat and Bruce wanted the da- the fat dowry dowry dog how the fuck do you say that uh the second time dowry dowry yeah ah yeah so basically said it's not because she's anything special yeah it's because he wanted that's that money yeah he thinks of his humiliating one job during the red wedding which was to get the great john umber so drunk that he would not be able to stand but he had failed at that as it had taken eight of them to get him into chains, leaving two wounded and one dead. Damn. So his migraine is starting to get worse as he climbs. Hold on. Were they purposefully trying not to kill the Great John then? No, oh, because they were um, intimidated by them. Like, they know he's a ferocious fighter. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to get him so drunk that he wouldn't be able to fight them. But so they can said... easily kill him. But you said they had to fight to get him in chains. So why are they putting him in chains instead of just killing him? Ooh, good one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe they did want to keep him, take him prisoner. I guess that makes sense. He has some value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being like the head of the Umbers, I guess. Maybe they would have ransomed. Or be keeping him, we'll keep the Umbers fighting them. hostage, yeah. That makes sense. So, Merritt is adamant about bringing back Peter Pimple to get back on Lord Walder's good graces. So, I guess he failed at this one job he had for the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. And now Lord Walder looks down on him. Up! In the ruins of the Old Stones, he dismounts and leads his horse further in. So, deep inside of the castle, he hears faint music. He finds a man in patched, faded greens, sitting on top of a tomb, playing a sad song on his wood harp. He asks Merritt if he recognizes him as he played at his daughter's wedding. Oh? Um, I guess Fat Olda's wedding he played 
someone behind Merritt asks if he brought the gold, and he turns around to find himself surrounded. Merritt tells him that he has a hundred golden dragons in his saddlebag, and one of the outlaws grabs it and checks the gold. He suddenly worries that they're going to take the gold and Peter. So he asks which one of them is Lord Beric. A one-eyed man says it's him, but another says no, it's his turn to be Lord Beric. The singer tells him that Lord Beric was needed somewhere else. Okay. Merritt's head is pounding now, and he knows that he's going to break down soon. He asks for his nephew, and they tell him that he's in the God's Wood, and they will take him to him. So they lead him to the woods. Hold on. Did um, you realize where they were before they start heading into the God's Wood? No, I just think they're in tricking old stones. <laughs> there, uh, there was the tomb of, uh, was it King Christopher? Or Lord Christopher? You didn't recognize that? No. Who's that? Um, it's the place where Cat, or, yeah, where Cat and Rob stopped, uh, on their trek to the twins from River Run. I recognize old stones from? Well, not just old stones, like the specific area mm -hmm. with the tomb. Oh! I did not recognize that at all. Well, do you remember it now? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it was where. I'm pretty sure that's where Kat was trying to, like, argue with Rob about naming an heir. And that's when Rob was like, it's gonna be John. Oh. I think that's where that happened. But anyway, it's not relevant, but I thought it was interesting <laughs> yeah. that we're revisiting that area. With it is two. interesting. Yeah. They lead him into the woods each step, forcing his migraine, and they find Peter Pimple hanging from his neck. Oh. <gasps> I didn't pay for a Mer dead man. <laughs> Merritt's like, I brought the gold. Why'd you kill him? And the singer admits that they lied. Then they seize Merritt's arms and they put a noose around his neck. Merritt says they wouldn't dare hang a fray, knowing far well how stupid he sounds. <laughs> like you you did see the guy in the tree, right? <laughs> right? You did see Peter Pimple, yeah? <laughs> the man in the yellow cloak says Peter said the same thing. Ooh-wee! Merritt says if his father will send more than twice as much for him than for Peter. Huh, liar. <laughs> but the singer says he won't. He'll send a hundred swords instead, and they'll have to catch them first. The singer says all he has to do is answer a question, and they'll let him go. Merritt promises anything. The singer says that they're looking for a dog that ran away. Merritt's like, what? The singer tells him that his name is Sandor Clegane. Merritt, his skull bursting open, tries to remember, and says he did not see Clegane in the castle. But he might have been outside in the camps. The singer says that he had a child with him, a skinny girl or boy around 10. Merritt has no clue. The singer says, oh well, when they start to hang him. <laughs> Merritt starts to squeal, begging that he answered their questions. And the singer says that I said I'd tell them that you go. And he tells the guy in the yellow cloak to let him go. The man in the yellow says, fuck that. And they continue hanging him. Oh, jeez. Merritt starts to piss himself, and he begs again that he has children. One of the outlaws says, thanks to them, the young wolf never will. 
Merritt says that they had to kill him. They had to cleanse the stain on their honor. It wasn't murder, it was vengeance, which they have a right to. Okay. He tells them of all of the Freys who lost their lives that night. <sighs> the man in the yellow cloak accuses him of sewing Rob's direwolf's head onto his body, but Merritt insists that it was his father and that all he did was drink. He starts throwing other Freys under the bus while insisting all he did was drink. And he says that they have no witnesses to prove what they're saying. Oh, the yeah. singer says, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The singer says that he is wrong and calls forth a woman. Mm-hmm. The outlaw's heart as she approaches and lowers her hood. For a moment, Merrick cannot breathe. <laughs> he is confused. <laughs> How is she alive? She saw them strip her naked and throw her body into the river. Uh, her cloak hides the gash that should be on her neck, but her face, freaking horrible. I'm going to read the passage that describes her. Oh, page 1128. Her cloak and collar hid the gash his brother's blade had made, but her face was even worse than he remembered. The flesh had gone pudding soft in the water and turned the color of curdled milk. Half her hair was gone, and the rest had turned as white and brittle as a crone's. Beneath her ravaged scalp, her face was shredded skin and black blood where she had raked herself with her nails. But her eyes were the most terrible thing. Her eyes saw him and they hated. Bruh. Bruh! What is this zombie? The man in the yellow cloak says that she cannot speak, as the gash in her neck is too deep, but she remembers. He asks her if Merritt was part of the Red Redding. Lady Catelyn nods, and Merritt Frey is hanged. What the hell? Is it. Okay. What? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> what the Go fuck? Ahead. Is this just some, mm. like... I uh, I always thought that she was supposed to come back as, like, a white walker. Like, what is this mm. black magic voodoo bullshit? <laughs> I don't... Like, I think in the other books, it's described. Do you want to know? Or no? What? I don't want the answer. Okay. <laughs> but heck? she's not a white walker. Okay, well, I know she's that something now. something more blasphemous. Okay, what no is spoilers. her name? Who? Melisandre? No. Lady Callan. What do you mean, what's her I name? I guess she changes her name. Her name changes. For the the thing she is now. Oh, yeah. Lady Stoneheart. Oh, that's what they call her? That, I think she'll have that new name. But, that's who she is now. And she's got hateful zombie running on pure revenge okay you believe how much do you actually know don't tell me what you know i think that's about it okay i know how she was resurrected okay yeah don't tell me but i won't tell you that but that's bit all i know is that now like that's her whole purpose zombie catlin okay so my guess let me throw this out there my wild theory Uh. when nymeria pulled her out of the lake Mm mm-hmm she was, I think, clearly still just a body. Yeah. Um, but then there were, like, 
footsteps and noises that scared Nymeria and her pack away. And I think that was maybe the Brotherhood? Mm-hmm. So they came marching along. They're like, yo, what the fuck? There's this dead woman lying here. And they flip her over and they're like, whoa, it's what Lady Catelyn. <laughs> yo, she did. She did. And Roddy. so they hoisted her up and they took her to the little tiny lady on top of the hill. Ugh. And they're like, can you help Lady Catelyn? Little tiny lady. <laughs> and little tiny lady was like, for a price. <laughs> she was like, okay, uh, a pig's nose and a, a frog's burp and a kiss my tongue. A fingernail and deadly nightshade. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my guess for now. I think she resurrected Catelyn as an evil zombie thing. Yes. I like that. Thank you. But, like, what the hell does this mean right like who is this extra <laughs> magical creature can whoever resurrected her just do this on a whim like whenever they right? want or just like a once in a lifetime sort of thing why were they allowed to do this yeah and why did to they choose to corpse. why would they choose to do that yeah like she's dead what do they think bringing her back is going to accomplish dead for days in the water like her poor body yeah it said she, her like skin was soft as pudding now or something uh, yeah I and mean, like her raked flesh is black Ew, and like uh, rotted like so her face is disgusting god can you imagine like Sansa or Arya coming across her or Bran oh my god you know how like traumatizing it would be to see your parent like that yeah I mean, no, I don't know how traumatizing it would be, but I can imagine, yeah! <laughs> yeah, that's fucking sick! So, this is a, definitely an ending that's kind of like, Whoa. oh yeah, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and leaves you with a lot more questions than answers. Hey everyone, just a quick aside. We just became affiliates of Buzzsprout, which is the hosting platform we use for our podcast. If you are interested in creating your own podcast, please consider using Buzzsprout. It made it easy to get our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other streaming platforms. They also provide you with a podcast website, detailed analytics to see how your episodes are performing, and tons of guides on how to improve your listenability. And if you follow our link in the episode description, you will get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan, and it helps support our show. Thank you! Back to the episode. So... I'm glad you did some, <laughs> I'm glad you did some, like, research or whatever for this episode. So I was gonna do, I was gonna do all mine yesterday, but then Mackenzie was like, yo, I had my baby, you wanna come see? And I'm like, yup! <laughs> yeah, no hesitation. Yeah. <laughs> I am there. Exactly. So, oh, and then I had uh, Jake's nephew's birthday in the evening, so... We got literally no no research done at all. Oopsie. <laughs> so you're gonna carry the rest well, of this episode, okay, Jess? I got you. I got you. Okay. <laughs> I took a lot of notes. Oh, okay. And so I can briefly summarize the entire book. Oh. Um, I'm sure you've heard. You know a lot of this stuff. Rising action, climaxes, and falling action. 
Oh, fun. That shit is. Yeah. I'm like, that's just a book, bro. But Raven knows more of me. (laughs) (laughs) The build up, the climax, and the the, the fallout, I guess. The conclusion. The the (laughs) conclusion. Or uh, the resolution, indeed. Mm hmm. So I'm going to point out rising action points Davos plans to assassinate Melisandre. Mm-hmm. Tyrion struggles with his family's ingratitude and condensation, and he and Sansa are married. Wait, did you say condensation? Condescension. Oh. Conden- condescension. Yeah, I can't read. Condescension. Is that a word? Oh, God. Is it? <laughs> I don't. Wait, I'll Google. Help me, Google. An attitude of patronizing superiority and disdain. Okay. I've just never heard anyone say condescension. It's always been like condescending when talking about it. But yeah, it is a word. Yeah. Alrighty, alrighty. Arya escapes her captors. Captors? The Boltons. The Boltons. Rob Stark. <laughs> Rob Stark <laughs> crosses the phrase by breaking his promise to them. Mm-hmm. Bran travels north to the Wall. Jon Snow escapes back to the Night's Watch after falling in love with the Wilding Egret. Jaime has his hand cut off. Samwell kills one of the others as he makes his way back to the Wall. Daenerys gains an army and conquers Astapor, Yunkai, and Marine. Wow, so they all have like their own... I mean, it makes sense, obviously. They would all yeah. need their own like story beats, but that is... yeah. Again, just so much to keep track of. It must be exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it. It It's hard enough doing it with one character. Yeah, right? (laughs) That ass. So the climaxes are... Wait, can I guess? The weddings. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, I I think for uh, Rob and Kat, yeah, it would be the wedding. Is that right? Both weddings. Both weddings. The assassinations. Both weddings. Oh. Okay. Well, I meant. Yeah, I meant specifically Rob and Kat's climax. Specifically. Though. Yeah, that was a big climax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I guess. Wait. King Joffrey. <laughs> yeah, but whose climax would that be? Just in general? I guess Tyrion's... Maybe? I guess it could be. I would say the climaxes in the book are the both of the weddings, I guess. Don't they have to be close to each other? They are pretty close to each other. So yeah, maybe of the book, that makes sense. But like, Mm -hmm. for for me, I feel like Tyrion killing Tywin has even more significance (laughs) than... yeah. Than Joffrey but dying. That was at the very end of the end of his chapters. That's true, but often the climax is actually very close to the resolution. Yeah. Okay. You know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess you can you can kind of think about you can think about it as a graph, which most people do. Uh, mm-hmm. It starts off down at the bottom. The rising action comes up into a big hump. The climax is right at the top, and then it comes down, the falling action, and then resolution down at the bottom. So it's a nice, beautiful, perfectly symmetrical hump, right? I guess so. Well, are you see? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Are you seeing it? Yeah. 
I see the graph. Okay. So actually, that's how most oh. people visualize it. But actually, the graph is usually a lot more sharp at the end. So it'll be like a nice slope at the start, the rising action. But once you hit the climax, there's a very hard drop off and the resolution will actually not go all the way to the bottom. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so I'll put a picture. Ew, stop sending me the pictures. Are those Lady Catelyn? <laughs> Ew! <laughs> Fan art of her is pretty. That is <laughs> fucky. <laughs> fucky. <laughs> Okay, so this is the graph of how oh. most people visualize it. And I'm hoping yep. I did, I'm describing it well enough that people can actually... Uh, uh, I'm pretty that sure it makes sense. they do. <laughs> but take a look at this one. And you'll see the rising action is a much slower sort of rise. And then the falling action is sharper and quicker. Well, like what you get in these books. <laughs> Very mm -hmm. slow build. Mm -hmm. But it's going to... In this, in the one I just sent you, the resolution comes all the way down to the bottom again. That is not how it works. It's gonna look more like this, where the resolution's <laughs> gonna be like yeah. in the middle that yeah, doesn't I'm... go all the way to the bottom. That just wouldn't make sense. <laughs> sure. Well, the story is still continuing, right? <laughs> There's more books. Uh, yeah, but even if it was like the end end. Oh, for reals? Yeah, it still wouldn't fall all the way to the bottom. Cause the bottom, is kind of implying like nothing nothing is happening and that's where the rising action comes from it's like coming from nothing to something but when you are at the end at the resolution mm -hmm. it's supposed to leave you with something right you don't yeah. end a book and just like it's nothing again no it's there and it's leaving you with something sure so that's kind of how i see it okay Anyway, climaxes. So you say you think the climaxes are the Red Wedding and Tyrion killing his father? Well, no. For the For book, you? I think the climaxes are probably both weddings. Uh-huh. But I think if I'm just looking at Tyrion's story, mm. like, exclusively, I would think his climax would be the escape and killing his father. Okay, okay. Sure. Does it I won't say? I will argue with you. Well, does your little, uh, do your notes no. say? No. Okay. My notes say that's the climax. <laughs> okay. The falling action. Sansa flees with Peter Baelish. Tyrion faces trial for Joffrey's murder. Jamie determines what has value to him as he is restored to command of the King's Guard. Arya gets revenge on a few people as she travels with Sandor Clegane. Jon Snow commands the watch in battle, and then Stannis offers to make him Lord of Winterfell. Samwell plots to have Jon Snow made Lord Commander of the Watch. Davos defies Stannis by sending away Edric Storm. And Daenerys must decide what to do with Ser Jorah and Ser Barrison after learning of their dishonesty. Okay. I agree with most of those. <laughs> Ooh! Again, like I would, agree with. I would argue against the Tyrion one because mm. I, I don't think him waiting for trial is the falling action because that would be 
90% falling action, I feel like. Yeah, this <laughs> is gonna jump up again with the epic conclusion of his chapter. Yeah. yeah, and again, if I think his climax is the escape, then it wouldn't make sense for the falling action to come before that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I get, I get why someone hmm. would argue that is the case. What was the other one that felt weird to me? Oh, yeah, I guess Sansa's. I guess I don't disagree with her falling action being escaping with Peter. I guess her climax could be the purple wedding. But, I don't know, for some reason to me, the purple wedding doesn't really feel like a climax for Sansa either. But her escape was pretty uh, interesting with Serdantos. I think you're right. Like, to me, that still felt like rising action. Oh, yeah? Mm. Yeah. Because it's not like things were getting calm after the the wedding. Like, no, things were getting scarier. True. Um, what would you say your climax would be for you? Realizing Peter's big I think bad guy? <laughs> almost. I think it would be the confrontation with Lysa. Mmm. That kind of feels like where things really come to the most intense moment. And then the falling action would probably be right after he shoves her out the moon door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then blames it on the bard. <laughs> yeah, he goes, are Fuck you okay? Guy. Oh, go open the door. This guy just killed my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, again, that's a very fast, like, falling action and resolution. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, sometimes that's the way it goes, and it doesn't mean one way is better than the other. It's just how you tell the story. Yeah. That's how but, it happened. But that's what I think. What do you <laughs> think? Like, if you think her climax would be the Purple Wedding, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. I think it is, because I feel like the whole beginning of her tale is the build-up to um, her escape. She's, like, planning her escape mm-hmm. with Sir Dantos throughout the beginning of the book. Pretty much. Is she pawned to Loris? I think she is a little bit, and then she's married to freaking Tyrion. Mm-hmm. And then after that, she, like, she's, like, really being planning her escape. Then it finally happens. For me, that's the climax. But she's escaping. She's out of there. But it did end in a high note. Wait, are you saying the escape is the climax, or...? Yeah, I think um, her escape from King's Landing is the climax, personally. Okay. That's fair. For her. Yeah. Again, that makes more sense to me than the actual wedding itself. Yeah. Okay, I would agree with that, too. I can tell you the major conflicts in this book. Okay. The Starks attempt to keep their cause from collapsing after alienating key allies. Allies? The phrase. (laughs) Jamie faces a struggle with his identity. Ooh, that's a big one. Uh-huh. Tyrion battles his family. Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh. Before you continue, I'm sure you've heard of this before. I feel like we literally studied this in elementary school. But have you heard of the different types of conflicts that can be in a story? Like man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself. I might have in high school, but I have no real memory of my English classes. Well, it's very, very, very simple. So, 
The first one is man versus man, which is like mm. the obvious one person having a conflict with another person, like Harry Potter versus Voldemort. Sure. That's man versus man. And then there's man versus nature, which is what it sounds like. <laughs> so it would be like 127 hours. Like this guy is stuck in a rock Ooh. and yeah. he needs Good to one. escape or like any natural disaster story that you can think of. True. And then there's man versus himself, which <laughs> which is probably the most complicated one. Jamie, Jamie. But yeah, again, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a man struggling. Well, it doesn't have to be a man. It's just how it's described. A person struggling <laughs> with themselves, their place in the world, who they are, and how that affects them mentally and affects the people and the things around them. Yeah. So well. yeah, I maybe start over with the conflicts and I want to see if we can name them all. Okay. The Starks attempt to keep their cause from collapsing after alienating key allies. Hmm. Okay, that one's actually interesting. What do you, how would you describe that one? Shit, I would say man versus man. Shall I? Yeah. it's <laughs> involving more people. <laughs> Yeah. They uh, fucked over comrades. That one is... Allies. I would... I would say it's both man versus man and man versus himself. Because I think it's very much, like you said, it's like the Starks against the Lannisters, the Starks against the Freys. Like, there's all these sort of outwards conflicts like that. But then there's also, like, Rob's struggle to be like his father, to be honorable and live up to what everyone's expecting him to be. Mm -hmm. So you could call that man versus himself. Um, yeah. And then it's also very much like Cat versus Rob as well. Yeah. Ooh. So you could still call that man versus man. Mm -hmm. But also if you're looking at it as the Starks as a whole, then maybe that is man versus himself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Man fun to think about. Alrighty. Jamie faces a struggle with his identity mm -hmm. versus self. Yep. Tyrion battles his family. Man versus man. Mm -hmm. Jon Snow deals with his own identity struggle as he contends with the wildlings. Man versus self. Mm -hmm. He went through a whole period where he was like am I betraying the Night's Watch, Maya Traitor, mm -hmm. Maya Turn Cloak. It does have the elements of both. Mm -hmm. Again. But yeah, I think you're right. And then Daenerys fights against the slave masters of Slaver's Bay. Man versus man. Indeed. Indeedy. There's not a lot of man versus nature in this one, but there is some here and there. Here and there, yeah. Me. When they go north. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, go on. Okay. I there are five themes. Ooh. In this book. Before you oh. start covering themes. Okay. Something interesting that I learned Ooh. in school that was news to me was that when people talk about theme, they're often talking about the message or the moral of the story. But that is actually not what theme is. 
Okay. Yeah, even when I'm like looking up the definitions, a lot of it's like, oh, the message within the narrative, which I guess isn't entirely untrue, but <laughs> what I learned is that it's more like the central topic. Okay. The subject. Ooh. Versus like the moral, which would be like, don't lie to people. Like, that's a moral, right? Okay. <laughs> sure. But the theme would be, if we're really dumbing it down, the theme would be lying. Okay, okay. So it's kind of an exploration of that subject is oh. what the theme is versus the moral of the story. Like, if it's a story about how lying is going to screw you, then the moral would be lying is bad or you shouldn't lie. Oh, okay. Is that making any sense? <laughs> A little bit. Okay. <laughs> slowly getting through to my brain. Alright. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about the themes in this uh, in this one and whether they're actually morals. <sighs> Want to figure it out? <laughs> yeah, go ahead and tell me. All Hit right. me. One. The political role of family. Two. That's a theme? Yeah. Two. Breaking the conventional female mold. Okay. That's Three. a theme. The need for revenge. Mm-hmm. Four. The struggles of identity. Mm. And five. The importance of honor. Ooh. Yeah. These are great. <laughs> yeah. These are true Let's go themes. Into Numero uno, the political role of family. The families in this series, as you know, and I know, are extremely large and tight-knit. Um, and they provide their members with guidance, support, identity, status, and power. Sorry. I just want to make sure that we give credit where credit is due. So, where oh, did yeah. you get the info from? Spark Notes. Oh, this is Sparknotes. Sparknotes.com. <laughs> okay. Sparknotes, you can go any, any book. I love it. I was like, whoa. Makes <laughs> my life easier. Okay, okay. Family allegiance is important. And different families that share close ties often function as a single clan. The various families of the North, for example, mostly act as a united front against the major families of the South. Okay. So these family alliances have a great deal of power so social contracts like marriage that formally join families together are important in the politics of Restoros. For Very. example, <laughs> King Joffrey's betrothals. So he was initially betrothed to Sansa Stark as a way to unite their families but when it became clear that their union no longer had political advantage, Joffrey was quickly engaged to Marjorie Tyrell. Mm. I remember trying to explain that to to Eric when the point came in the show where he yeah. rejected Sansa for Marjorie instead, and we did not sound this <laughs> <No>. smart. <laughs> Neither of us. Well, I'm not that smart. I'm, but this was a great way of explaining it. This is why I write, man, because I cannot articulate my thoughts when I'm speaking. Yeah. Well, it, for me, it takes me a while to write down my thoughts and then to like edit it mm -hmm. to make it sound smarter <laughs> yeah and when i'm like 
talking, I always feel like I'm not getting my point across. <laughs> same. Yeah, I feel... <laughs> I love that we're the same on this. I forget this. words. Whose fucking <sighs> idea was it to have a podcast? <laughs> Yours. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. When these same social ties are broken, the results can basically be clan warfare. Warfare, yes. Ooh. Um, Rob Stark's decision to marry Jane Westerling instead of one of Lord Frey's daughters provoked the phrase to massacre the Starks in their alleys at the Red Wedding. Ah, mm-hmm. that's mm. a very, uh, very much a cause and effect situation. That is that theme explained. Political role family. Love. You love it. Love you it. Agree. I love politics. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice. Are you ready for breaking the conventional female mold? Mm-hmm. We've got so Brienne. We've got Arya. Daenerys. True. We got Cersei. Daenerys. Uh huh. We got Cersei. There's Catelyn. You know she dead. I love these women, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As characters. <laughs> As we both know, Westeros is a male-dominated world. Not just Westeros, Essos as well. Basically this whole, this whole planet. Yes. Male monarchs rule the lands, and male advisors counsel them. Male knights fight their wars, and women are married off in order to secure lands and titles. So that's a woman's role in this world. Property! Property. Male characters constantly threaten women with abuse, and many women are treated as property or sexual objects. So oh. we forgot Shay too. Fuck yeah, Shay. <laughs> Daenerys is a strong-willed leader. Cersei wields significant power in King's Landing, and is at times the actual ruler of Westeros. Mm, true. Arya has always been more interested in sword fighting than girly stuff like needlework. Mm-hmm. And she hates it when anyone suggests that she should behave more like a girl. Brienne also forgoes feminine rules, refuses to be dominated by any man. She's the only female soldier in Restoros that we have met so far, I think. And despite the verbal and sometimes physical abuse she suffers for her dress and behavior, she continues to behave as she wants and not as others think she should. I think there is the the Mormonts, and we've met <gasps> a couple of uh, Rob's Rob's Ooh. lords, I guess, ladies from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have met some female soldiers before. True, yeah. Yes. And, uh, would you consider the Hill Tribes soldiers? Is there a woman in there? Um, no, but only because with them being the Hill Tribes, I feel like they're just not, I put this in quote, like, quotes, uh, as civilized. So, (laughs) (laughs) organized and disciplined? Nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they would just, they would want anyone who can fight to fight, 
and it's, yeah. it's not so much about the gender roles, maybe. Okay. So, like, I don't know if I would point out their female fighters as being out of the norm, because I think that's normal for them. But in all of Westeros, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> also, there are some major uh, female characters who play traditional female roles, but they use these roles for, to their advantage. For example, Cersei. She uh, feels like she has to fulfill a conventional female role, even though she seems to wish that she was born a man. Mm -hmm. uh, she thinks that she must always be beautiful, and she doesn't think that she would ever be able to rule Restoros openly, so she does it behind her sons. Mm. But she also uses men's perceptions of her as a sex object to her advantage often manipulating them into doing what she wants in exchange for sexual favors or even just the hope of them right which i've noticed like some there's like a gold cloak or two who does things for her because he like the idea of it yeah and catelyn stark mm -hmm. is a mother figure and much of what she does she does in order to take care of her children especially rob that need to protect her children is the source of a great deal of her strength. True that. I like this a lot. This is a, <laughs> this is a really it's cool informative. breakdown. It's informative. Yeah. Okay, the need for <laughs> revenge. <laughs> so, as the war progresses, the royal houses keep track of crimes and betrayals and for each perceived misdeed, a character often seeks revenge. The need for revenge is so prevalent in the novel that it motivates a great deal of the novel's plot and serves as a driving force for several characters. It also leads to the death of numerous characters. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so in some instances, Revenge is sought for relatively minor infractions, like an insult to a character or a family's honor. So when Rob breaks his engagement to Frey daughter, the Freys get their revenge by assassinating Rob and Catelyn Stark at the Red Wedding. Mm -hmm. Other instances, it comes from long-standing grievances, as when Tyrion vows vengeance against Jaime and then murders his father in revenge for their mistreatment of him and Tysha. Did Tyrion vow vengeance against Jaime? I don't think he did. He planned, he promised Jaime that he would fight him the next time they saw him. Oh, other. I guess so. <laughs> and you could also argue that him saying that he killed Joffrey is a form of revenge, because that's him trying True. to hurt Jaime. Yeah. In other cases, characters seek revenge for the murder of their friends or family members. So, as we just learned, the reanimated Catelyn Stark joins the Brotherhood to exact revenge on the phrase. Ooh, uh, revenge for revenge! Revenge for revenge! For revenge for revenge! Inception! <laughs> <laughs> um, Arya lives obsessed 
with gaining vengeance on those who have hurt or killed her family and friends. Oh yeah, she is like driven by it. Her list of names that mm -hmm. she recites every night. Mm -hmm. Tyrion's champion, Oberyn Martell, takes up the role to get revenge against Gregor Clegane. Oh Kagan. yeah! Mm. Okay, okay. So revenge exacted by one character causes another character to want retribution which creates this cycle of revenge constantly back and forth back and forth yeah what i just said <laughs> yeah revengeception and that the struggles of identity Ooh. relatable so several characters in your struggles with their identities as events force them to reconsider how they think of themselves and what person they want to be. Okay, we got Jamie. We got John. We got Sandor Clegane? Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. I don't think he, was in, he wasn't mentioned because he doesn't have a chapter. Yeah. That'd be cool if he was in there. We got Rob, probably. We got uh, Bran, for sure. Ooh. Uh, who else we got? We got, uh, who's struggling with their identity? It's like Tyrion uh, there. Danny, all the time. True. Yeah. She's always like, is this right? Should I be doing this? <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, then she had to choose between Marine and Restoros. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jorah, probably? Maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who else? I said John already, right? Yeah. You can say him again. <laughs> John for a second time. Okay. <laughs> I think I named everyone I right. wanted to name. <laughs> so John faces two struggles mm -hmm. of identity. First, as he pretends to be a wildling, he finds himself fitting in amongst the wildlings more than he anticipated. And even as he breaks his vows to the Night's Watch by getting sexy time with Ygritte, Ultimately, he must decide whether he wants to become one of them or return to the watch. And he struggles a great deal with this decision. Later, he is offered the chance to rule over Winterfell by Stannis and given the Stark name, but he would have to leave the watch to do so. So this situation taps directly into the, the identity issues Jon had growing up when he felt himself as not fully part of the Stark family. So he feels torn between um, two versions of himself, basically. Right. Another instance is Bran Stark coming to terms with his psychic abilities. Um, Tyrion um, choosing to leave his family when he murders his father. And Jaime, the most notable, <laughs> has built his entire life around his identity as a swordsman. But he loses that identity when his sword hand is cut off. So this event forces him to reevaluate, reevaluate his sense of self-worth and then to rebuild an identity more or less from scratch. So this challenge precipitates in him the most drastic change in character that we see in the novel. Mm -hmm. He evolves from an apathetic seemingly honorless man into one who is deeply concerned with honor and duty. I wonder if it was, uh, like if George knew from the beginning that Jamie was gonna mm. change, or if this kind of 
just happened. Came out of the blue and he was like, oh shit, I should make him a perspective character now. Ooh. Perhaps. Hmm. He knew something was going to happen. Without knowing what was going to happen. <laughs> Maybe he knew that Jamie would like lose a hand at one point, but mm -hmm. didn't know until he got there how much that would affect Jamie Ooh. as a person. And then that Maybe. may be that. He was planning on something else being um, happening to him, but when it got there, he was like, nah, they're gonna take his hand. Yeah. Oh. Maybe he was gonna kill Jamie. Ooh. Hmm. We would've lost a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The importance of honor. Ooh, this one has been probably one of the biggest themes throughout the series so mm -hmm. far. For sure, especially with the Starks. Yeah, with Ned and now Rob and John for sure. Ooh, yeah. His whole thing with the Wildlings and with Egret and yeah. that's all about his honor as a member of the Night's Watch. Yeah. Honor is a major motivating force in the book. Mm -hmm. Serves as one of the major ways in which characters are defined. Often the notion of honor is a, is about preserving one's esteem in the eyes of others just as much as it's about doing what's morally correct. So the phrase took Rob Stark's engagement to Jane Westerling um, as an affront to their honor because it suggested that he held the phrase in low regard and didn't value them. Right. So that slight to their honor prompted the phrase to murder the Starks at the Red Wedding. Mm -hmm. So as Merritt Frey explains just before he's hanged in the epilogue, the phrase did it because they had to cleanse the stain on their honor, as he said. Right. He's basically saying, like, we'd be a bunch of pussies if we didn't kill Rob for that. Yeah, if, if they just accepted it. Yeah, like, what does that make us if we're just like, okay, fine, you can screw us over anytime you want and we'll just turn around and fucking take it up the ass. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> so, similarly, Rob and when Rob decides that he has no choice but to execute Rickard Karstark for killing the two Lannister allies that they were holding prisoner. Oh yeah, I forgot! Yeah. It's both because of Karstark's act was reprehensible mm -hmm. and two, that he killed unarmed boys. In their beds. Because, yeah. While well, they were, they were sleeping. Fuck. Yup. <laughs> And because Karstark was publicly disregarding Rob's authority by acting on his own, as Rob puts it, Karstark killed more than a Freyna Lannister. He killed my honor. Oof. Rob chose to execute Karstark, a valuable ally and friend, because he deems his honor more important than Karstark. I don't know if I would put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd maybe... Because if he... If he chooses Karstark over his honor, then he looks it, weak to everyone. Yeah. It'll lead <laughs> for more disrespect. Yeah, and it sets a dangerous precedent uh -huh. where people can disobey him and, yeah, exactly, do whatever they want. And yeah. he'll just turn over and bend over and take it up the ass and be cool with it. Like, no. <laughs> he can't. Oh. And I guess there were other ways that he could have reprimanded him. 
So, uh, yeah, I guess that's arguable. I agree. Often, honor goes hand in hand with upholding one's vows, which is why Jamie is considered among the most dishonorable figures in Westeros. Oh, yeah. So he took an oath to protect King Aerys when he was first made a member of the King's Guard. And then gave and... it to him up the ass. True that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> with his the title of Kingslayer <laughs> serves as a testament to that lack of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jamie's transformation as he undergoes that he undergoes over the course of the novel centers on him realizing honor's value and then trying to restore it. Brienne of Tarth has suffered a similar dishonor in that she is widely suspected to have either killed Renly or conspired in his murder while part of his guard. Mm-hmm. So Jamie gives the sword Oathbreaker, I mean Oathkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Gives the sword Oathkeeper to Brienne and sends her to save Sansa as a way for both of them to regain some honor. Since they both promised Catelyn they would find and save Sansa. And Arya. So Jamie literally says to Brienne in the book, Sansa Stark is my last chance for honor. Oh shit. Jamie says that? Yeah. That's crazy. He cares. <laughs> There's feelings in that man. <laughs> well, he cares about his honor. Brienne <laughs> yeah. is primarily motivated by honor. That's why she escorts Jamie back to King's Landing, despite her dislike for him and the great risk to herself. She promised Catelyn that she would, and so she does, whatever her personal feelings. Jon Snow is also motivated by honor to a large degree, thanks to his papa. (laughs) A significant factor in returning to the Watch after living with the Wildlings, and then choosing the Watch for Winterfell, is that he made a vow. Honor demands that he stick to that vow, so he puts aside his personal feelings to uphold it. Mm -hmm. That's what I got for that. That's everything? Impress. Yeah. Perfect. I did it. <laughs> Nicely done. You definitely carried. <laughs> so this is a nice long <laughs> finale episode. Mm-hmm. Finale for a, a Storm of Swords. And that's it. It's going to be going back on the shelf that's now. The end. Whoa. Damn. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> announcing our next book. What are we reading next, Jess? A feast for crows. Oh, oh shocker! Four. <laughs> Shit, that means we gotta do the whole chapters again. Ooh, um, that's like my favorite part. <laughs> so in our next episode, we are going to be uh, randomly selecting our characters again. So, is there gonna be new perspective characters? Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> no one's gonna have to be Catelyn this time. Ooh. <laughs> Awesome, and this time Sansa's uh, chapters are going to be pretty pretty cool, I think. Oh yeah, we're going to be fighting for Sansa this time. She's going to be learning under... What's his face? The BBEG. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So look forward to that. And also, real quick before we go, a shout-out to our patrons. Our lovely, awesome patrons. Tobias. Ooh. Jake. <gasps> Eric and Barum, who just had a baby. Yay! Congratulations, Barum. 
Congrats on the baby. Congrats you on the baby. It. You did it. You had a baby. <laughs> All right. That's it for this one, I guess. Any last things you want to add? I'm good. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more of the podcast, please follow us on Instagram. You can follow the podcast at Tigbab Podcast or follow us individually. My handle is Crimby and Jess's is Jess.Egan24. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search Tigbab Podcast or Tea is Good, Books are Better, and we will show up there. Also, please subscribe to our good friend Baram Barami on YouTube. He's the one who made our jingle, which you heard at the start of the episode, and he makes some really cool music. That's B-A-H-R-A-M. You can also find him on Spotify as Barambient. That's B-A-H-R-A-M-B-I-E-N-T. And please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash better. We have a few different tea-themed tiers with fun rewards, including outtakes, BTS stuff, and mini-episodes in which we force our brother to watch Game of Thrones, which he absolutely hates. So it makes for some fun discussions slash arguments. <laughs> Finally, if you would be willing to share the podcast with your family and your friends, it would be a huge help to us to grow the podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one for Feast for Crows. Yeah, Feast. Is that right? Yeah, Feast for Crows. <laughs> feast for Crows. So dead bodies, basically, and lots of them. My favorite. Yes. <laughs> My too. <laughs> Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>